Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to talk about their journey dealing with a struggle and how they found healing. My guest today is Danika Tokunaga. She's president of Maven Wealth Management in Fulton, Maryland. Danika, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Sure. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So we're going to cover something today that I've been wanting to cover since I launched the podcast, something that I think is really important for us to address, and that is the racial wealth gap. So Danika kind of experienced this wealth gap, which is a divide between the wealth of white households and that of households of color firsthand growing up in inner city Baltimore. When Danika was growing up, her family struggled financially, and she's going to talk about that in a minute. But ultimately, this is a story of how she fought through and overcame her circumstances so that she could change her life. And I mean, from listening to her speak, you know, my understanding is that that was not an easy feat and it's an ongoing battle and, you know, lifelong journey for her. But Danica, can you just start by telling us a little bit about your experience growing up in, in Baltimore City? Sure, sure. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak with you, Diana, about this, because I think it is something that more people should hear. These are the kind of stories that are motivational. And I think that when people understand that despite where you start, you can always change the trajectory of your life. I think it's very motivational. So growing up yeah. in growing up in Baltimore City, actually as a child, it was it was very nice. I I love city living. I love the urban lifestyle. Love the convenience of having family and friends close. However, a few of the things that I did notice as a child was that we didn't have some of the some of the luxuries of life that others had. And mm. there there were a lot of there were a lot of very subtle differences that became less subtle as I as I grew older and matured more and became more aware and more conscious just about my surroundings and about um, life. Yeah. And so, I mean, how did you kind of experience the, the racial wealth gap firsthand? Can you give us a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a picture about what your life was like? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I grew up in a, in a very, in a very nice community, actually. My, my grandparents had a very small ranch home that's, that was just sitting right on the outskirts of a very wealthy neighborhood in Baltimore City. 
And they were very fortunate. As, as I got older, I realized how fortunate they were to have this home that was so close in proximity to this very wealthy neighborhood because I was able to go to the uh, elementary school that the wealthy kids attended. And that was, that was very nice. But one of the things that I did notice was that while we lived in a one level, very small two bedroom, uh, one and a half bathroom, a ranch level home, I noticed that around the corner, just maybe within walking distance, seven minutes away, there were mansions and homes that looked like very small castles. And mm-hmm. I remember as a little girl always wondering, oh, how did those, how did, how did these people get one of those? And mm-hmm. why is our home so different? I didn't, you know, I didn't know that these were the, some of the wealthiest people in Baltimore. I just noticed the difference in the sizes of the homes. I mean, our house could probably fit in their driveway, in the driveway of their four car garage. So that was that was one of the things I noticed very early on, and the the differences became more noticeable as I grew older and my eyes were opened, and I realized that a lot of the a lot of the opportunities, a lot of the privileges that were afforded to some of the other people in the community were not afforded to people on on my side of the street. I mean, there was there's literally a street which which formed the line of demarcation between the haves and the have-nots, if you will. And yeah. the difference when you look across the street and you see how the other people are living, it was very noticeable. Yeah, and I'm sure it was, uh, while, while you were fortunate, you know, it was even more stark, you know, if you went further into the inner city, right, in terms of the, the wealth gap. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, although I, I grew up in a family that was considered the, the lower class, I think we probably, we probably did a little better than most of, of the other lower class families because I just remember going to see some friends and relatives and noticing that, oh, wow, you know, the way I live at home is different, but this is very mm-hmm. different. Well, I'm going to read something from inequality.org, which is a, a project of the Institute for Policy Studies. By the middle of the 21st century, the United States will be a majority-minority nation. If we hope to ensure a strong middle class, historically, the backbone of the national economy, then improving the financial health of households of, of color will become even more urgent than it is today. Closing the persistent wealth divide between white health households and households of color, already a matter of social justice, must become a priority for broader economic policy. So in other words, it makes economic and, fi- and financial sense to address this wealth divide. And according to the survey of consumer finances data, the median black family has 24100 in wealth. This is just 12.7% of the 189,100 in wealth owned by the typical white family. The median Latino family with $36,050 owns just 19.1% of the wealth of the median white family. And in Baltimore specifically, 
the average white household makes nearly two times the income of the average black household, according to Prosperity Now, which is a national nonprofit based in, which is dedicated to expanding economic opportunity for low-income families. A third of, of households of color in Baltimore have zero net worth. So some pretty just interesting, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. not interesting, but, you know, mm-hmm. it, it makes you think, Disturbing. I guess, about what we need to do here. <laughs> but, I mean, how did you eventually get out of the inner city? Hmm. Good question. Excellent question. So I, I, began, I began listening to my grandmother. My grandmother, when I, was, when I was a young girl, she worked as a nursing assistant, and she would do private duty. She worked as a private duty nurse's aide. And she was very good at her job, and she's very good um, at taking care of people. She's very hospitable. And as a result, she would be given some of the high-profile assignments. So she would be asked to take care of some of the wealthy and very fortunate people in and around Baltimore City. And my Mm -hmm. grandmother would come home and tell us, you know, because she was able she was able to see the other side and see how they lived. And she would come home and she would say to me, she would say, I want you to, you, you have to dream, you have to imagine it. I need you to be able to see it. And I would say, well, what do you mean? And she would say, here, let's, let's look in this magazine and let's, let's cut out houses that you like and cut out cars that you like. And she would say to me, you have to be able to see it to be able to dream it. And once you dream it, you can mm. achieve it. And my grandmother would always advise me, she'd say, I want you to go and just, you know, let's just go see a model home. And we would drive and we would drive through homes where there was uh, neighborhoods where there were new construction homes being built. And we would go inside and she would just walk in and I would see her eyes just light up and she'd be amazed at how beautiful these structures were that were being erected. And she taught me to dream. And one of the things that I realized Yes, from her at an early age was that I needed to expand my horizon because if I were just looking at the walls of my community, I wouldn't know what else is out there. And that's one of the very disturbing things that happens in the black and other minority communities. We oftentimes don't get out of the community. Most people who are underprivileged don't usually leave their neighborhoods. Most people who are underprivileged don't usually travel. Most people who are underprivileged have probably never been on an airplane, okay? So the mm-hmm. walls of our communities are, are all that we see until somehow, somewhere, or someone opens our eyes and we have access to seeing how much different and better life can be. I was able to live vicariously through my grandmother, and that gave me the the ambition I needed. When I turned 18, I then went and took the course to become a nursing assistant, and I followed her path. I, too, worked for some of the very wealthy families in and around Baltimore and Maryland, and that was it for me. That was all I needed. I used to sit, I literally would sit with my client who, who, you know, would be, I remember one of my clients is the matriarch of a major cosmetic company whose products, is, mm-hmm. whose products we probably all use. And I would sit and talk with her 
and just say to her, how in the world did you afford this house? How did you all do it? How did you start this? How did this happen? Right? Because we all, when, when we don't know, we need to be taught. And that is mm-hmm. the one of the number one issues is that people who are underprivileged and underserved, they do not have access to someone to teach them, to show them or guide them on the path to living a better life. And I would, yeah. I would take copious mental notes. And I knew, I knew number one, that I had to see life the way they saw it. I had to, I had to just experience it through, through their experience. And, you know, I would literally say, oh my gosh, okay, so this property costs X millions of dollars. And I remember just, just going, you know, that was when the, the internet really started becoming popular. And well, even, even before then, looking in magazines and just trying to research and find out how much money could I make if I worked in this profession, if I did this and if I did that, right? And it didn't take very long for me to know that, okay, this is not going to get me out of here. This is not going to be my ticket out. And so I, I knew that I had to connect with those who had already done it, stay in contact with those who were doing it, and learn from them. Yeah. I, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about your community college experience, because I know it was it was difficult, right, to get mm-hmm. through. Um, and what were some of the challenges there? Oh, sure. Well, well, for me, it wasn't community college itself that was difficult. The most the most difficult, difficult aspect for me was the fact that I was 18 years old and raising three children. I was, yeah. you know, I was the, the parent to my three baby sisters. And that started at a very early age. And going to community college, I, I always did, I always had performed excellently in school. And the, the obstacle was getting back and forth to school. And I think at the time the girls may have been one, three, and five, one, two, and five wow. years old. And so I would literally have to take three buses to get to another county to attend community college with three children at the age of 18. Wow. How did you, how did you do that? How did you manage to? Well, it, it, oh my goodness. It was, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of determination. It was just a lot of, a lot of stamina. You, you really, that's, that's one of the things about coming from growing up as an underprivileged child, Coming from a family where financial resources are limited, it is very, very easy not to su- succeed at, at certain levels. It really is. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it becomes so much more difficult because you have so many things that you face on an everyday basis. So just just, you know, normally when you wake up, children who grow up, in an underprivileged family, they usually are not the only child. They usually have the responsibility of helping to raise their siblings in some way, helping to care for their siblings in some way. They mm-hmm. probably live in a community where where they may, there may be uh, drug problems, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, just, mm-hmm. just to speak for myself, just to get to the bus stop 
to 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 catch the bus to walk to the bus stop every day i had to walk past the drug dealers i had to walk past the guys soliciting me for sex i mean just as a kid you know as an 11 12 13 14 year old when you walk out your door there are so many obstacles that you face before you even get to the bus stop okay so just to get yeah. to the bus stop to get on the bus you've accomplished a significant feat but then you carry all that with you to school throughout the day and back home it's the same thing going back home you you know traveling that same path and then you get home and for the most part you probably have to think about what you and your siblings are going to eat for dinner you know yeah, i know grown yeah growing up i i was a latchkey kid i was a latchkey kid at 5 years old walking home from mm-hmm. kindergarten my 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 elementary school was just at the end of my block, right? It wasn't that far away, but I remember leaving kindergarten, I would walk home by myself. And most mm. times my, my kindergarten teacher, very sweet lady, Miss Gaddy, she would, she would say to me, Danica, wait a minute, don't leave yet. I'm going to walk you home because she knew that I would, I'd be walking home by myself and she knew I had a key to the house. She would walk mm-hmm. me home and make sure I got in the house. And she said, now you go in and lock the door and don't open the door until your grandparents come home. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is a totally different experience, a totally different childhood experience for kids who grow up with, with challenges that they have to face on a regular basis. Well, I, I appreciate you, you know, sharing that with us and kind of, you know, hopefully it will open some folks eyes up to what it's like. As you know, African Americans are, are grossly up underrepresented in this industry. And I'm just wondering, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like as, as an African American woman in this industry? You know, what sort of challenges has that presented? Sure, absolutely. Well, the, the most significant challenge is the fact that because African Americans do not own a significant amount of the wealth in this country, it means that as an African-American in the industry, when you are building a business as a financial advisor, the majority of the people who have the assets that you have to go to 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 market your services are not going to look like you, right? Mm -hmm. And it has been my experience that for the most part, people tend to do business with people who look like them. Yeah, okay. Regard, regardless to what your race is, right? Most people default to working with people who look like them. So being black, that means that, you know, most black people would default to working with, with a black financial advisor. However, most black people don't have the, the amount of investable assets to become a full service financial advisory client. Mm hmm. And, you know, the folks who do have those asset levels are not black. And mm. they they tend to do business with people who look like them, which means that, you know, it becomes that much more difficult for the black financial advisor to have a seat at the table, if you will. And yeah, as I a mean, result, it's hard enough to build a book of business, you know, in general. It's, it's just hard enough right. to do that. So that is that is correct. How did you go, how did you, you know, sort of overcome that challenge and build a book of business for yourself? (laughs) So (laughs) it was not easy. It was not easy. Very, very difficult. 
And to, to give you the probably the most straightforward answer, I had to wake up earlier, stay up later, mm. and work five times harder in between throughout the day, right? My switch had to always be on when I went to the grocery store. If I went to, you know, any type of community event, I had to always be ready, willing, and able to tell people who I am and what I do for a living and how I can help them, okay? I mean, you literally have to expose yourself in so many ways just to, to, to be on people's radar. And you have to be able to, or at least I know in my case, I had to be able to stick around for any length of time because most of the people who I marketed my services to did not become clients until I was in the business probably for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm. Yeah. Which is why, which is why, you know, that there's such a revolving door when it comes to being a new financial advisor in the business because it's, it's very, very difficult. And when you add the, just that dynamic of being a minority and being a minority group who does not own a significant amount of the wealth in the country, I mean, you literally, you literally see and feel the dollars just flying over your head back and forth mm. from, you know, the, from, from one person to the next. Mm. So I wholeheartedly agree with the statement, with your opening statement when you were discussing the fact that it is very important for that, that racial wealth gap to, to shift and to, to decrease. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, when, when, when everyone is, is making money and making a livable wage and when, when every person has investable assets and they're able to live, they're able to live their life in a different manner than they would if they did not. What that does for us all is it makes us better as a society. Can I, I'm going to sort of throw you a little bit of a curveball here, but sure. what do you think financial advisors can do and should do to help close that gap? Hmm. I think one of the things financial advisors can do is to, as I mentioned, well, and, and you know this, and I'm, I'm sure probably most of the world knows this, but most financial advisors are not black. And right, I think right. I think it's probably about four percent, three or four percent, which is a very very small number. And I think one I of think the things right. yeah. that yeah yeah one of the things that financial advisors can do to try and decrease that wealth gap is to number one have it in their heart, mind, and soul that they want to help the black community increase their wealth. Right. Mm. And in doing so, we have to create programs and strategies, methodologies for that to happen, because it's not just going to happen. So what that means is providing, as I mentioned, some kind of education to people. When people are educated, they win. Right. When people mm. are educated and, and, and education, what I mean by that is what I was explaining to you in that when people get to see how other people live, they, they, it, it breathes something within you. They start to want it. And it's like, okay, how do I do that? 
How do I get to live this life? You know, I talk to people all the time just about the fact that, listen, Baltimore doesn't have to be the extent and totality of of your existence. You know, living in Baltimore and having experience and seeing Baltimore, that's not it. There's so much more to life. And Absolutely. the more, you know, the more people are educated and their horizons are broadened and they get to experience life, the better off they, they will be. That happened for me with one of my one of my private duty nursing clients. So as I mentioned, I was I was privileged and, and fortunate enough to be able to work with some very wealthy people in and around Baltimore and Maryland. And one of the families, the, the matriarch of the family, became almost like a mother to myself and my baby sisters. And she taught me. She gave me access. She exposed me. And I will forever be grateful to her for doing that because she didn't have to. And she showed me a completely different way of life. This this woman, you know, I was I was her I was her nurse. I was her employee. I worked for her. And she did not have to share her life with me in the manner in which she did. But she did. We were from we're from two different worlds. You know, she's a white woman. I'm a, a very accomplished and successful white woman and I'm a young black girl from Baltimore City. And I came there to provide a service to her and that could have been the extent of our relationship. But she didn't let it in there. You know, she wanted she wanted better for me, and she helped me significantly. And I think if, yeah. you know, more, if more people, more financial advisors, but not just financial advisors, more people who, who have privilege, more people who have access, who have resources, if they reached back to help someone else, to just show someone else a better way or to expose them to their life, we would all be better. Because what that did for me, when, when I had that person in my life who, who taught me and who groomed me, it made me want more. It made it feel as if more and better were accessible and attainable. Because before, when, when thinking about that, it really seemed insurmountable. And it just mm-hmm. seemed like it was just too far-fetched. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, that's never going to happen because I had no one to show me the way. But but she did. And, you know, I, I can't put a value on it. Is that woman still alive? Unfortunately, she is not. She is not. She's not. There, and, there, and there were actually, I, I guess I do need to say there were two. There were two ladies, two white ladies, actually. One was Jewish and one was not. But no, she's, neither of them are alive anymore. You know, I'm I'm grateful that that you had them. Just one last question, Danica. I mean, how how have your experiences, you know, your your background growing up shape your path to becoming a financial advisor? Everything about it, everything about my background, everything about my my childhood, everything about my my family's financial stature, everything about it. Because what it did for me as a little girl and a young lady is to teach me that I needed to understand how money worked. I Mm. needed to understand why there were some people who were able to live that life and why there were some who were not. And, Mm. you know, in my immediately family, in my immediate family, I didn't have anyone teaching me that because they didn't know themselves. I remember my grandmother having a conversation with me and, you know, I would, I would look at TV and I would see beautiful homes and we would, we would watch 
just shows like, you know, it wasn't HGTV because it was so long ago, but just the version of that. I think it was called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous uh, with, with Alan Lee. I remember Lee. that That's his name, one. I think. Yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but I would, I would just want to know, like, oh, my gosh, like, how do they get to live like that? How do they afford that? Is someone giving them this? How does that happen? And I knew that I needed to be educated. I, ne- I knew I needed to go to college. And at the time, not many of my people, not many people in my family were going to college. And one of the things my grandmother told me was, she said, you know what? I don't know why you think that you're going to do all of these things in your life. She said, but I want you to do them. And she mm-hmm. said, I wish that I knew how to tell you what to do and how to do it. But I don't. She said, I, I never dreamed that big. And you know, I, I just didn't. She said, so what I want you to do, promise me that you will connect with people who think the way you think and who dream the way you dream. She said, you have to. You have to connect with like-minded people. She said, because mm-hmm. I want it for you, but I just don't know how to tell you how to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So I went to school and I, I just started studying money. I started studying how money works economics and finance, how does money move through the system? Why do some people have it and why do some people not have it? And one of the things that I knew I needed to do was get my education Yeah. because I knew that that was going to give me access to people who were educated and it was going to broaden my horizon and give me just a totally different community of, of individuals to surround myself with. Yeah, well, well, we're just about out of time, but I'd like to thank my guest, Danika Tokunaga, for, for being on the podcast and for opening up about your life experiences. I, I really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and just, just share insight from my perspective. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think it, it's such an important perspective and we really appreciate you opening up. And if you'd like to reach out to Danika or you have questions for her, you can reach her at danika.tokunaga at mavenwealthmgmt.com. And we'll put this in the in the show notes as well. And if you have a struggle yourself and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. And this is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.